Act One, Part Two of Civilian Clothes by Thompson Buchanan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act One, Part Two. Mr. Lanham coming down left of Mrs. Lanham. Hello, Elizabeth said you needed me, Mother. Mr. Archibald Lanham is tall, slender, with white hair and a keen patrician, smooth face that shows intelligence, humour, and a fundamental kindly outlook on life and its foibles. It is the viewpoint of a man looking down on his fellow men. He has inherited wealth and acquired more through the practice of his profession, lawyer. Therefore, to the pride of birth and wealth is added the pride of achievement. If anyone told him he was a snob, he would unhesitatingly admit it and justify it. Needed you? Father! Tragically. Archibald, your daughter is going to be an old maid. Why the emphasis? My daughter? Because no daughter of mine would be such a fool. I think I'll say goodbye. Flo grabs his arm and pulls him down on sofa, in alarm. Billy, don't leave me with them. Billy, with hope, instantly and obviously decides not to go, sits on divan beside her. Mr. Lanham to Mrs. Lanham. Possibly, Elizabeth, if you leave this to me, I can get to the bottom of it. Mrs. Lanham, with obvious unbelief. Possibly, but I don't think so. Sits on chair, right centre. There's nothing to get to the bottom of. Billy just asked me to, well, speaking accurately, to be the mother of his children. Billy opens his mouth to gasp. Wah. Well, of course, Billy. If you start your indelicacies before marriage... There'll be nothing left to make a marriage interesting. Billy rises indignantly. I did nothing of the kind. I didn't even tell her she had to have any. Flo pulls him down. Mrs. Lanham with sharp reproof. Please refrain from discussing matters that are not necessary at present. Mr. Lanham judicially. Good. Obstacle number one removed. Pause. But, Dad, all this concerns Billy and me. Granted, my dear, granted. That's why I'm asking. Now, my dear Florence... Have you any deep-rooted objection to the married state? How should I know? Precisely. That's the beauty of the system. Archibald, I think you're a perfect idiot. He turns to her. Whoever heard of any woman objecting before marriage? And if she objects afterwards, she'll only be like every other woman. Thank goodness my children are normal. Then, Florence, is it that you know Billy too well? Can you know them too well? <clears throat> Coughs, moves up. We, um, sometimes I thought so. Billy rises. Now, Mr. Lanham, see here, I don't want to be passed on like a prize pig. Billy Arkwright, nobody has pinned any blue ribbons on you. Pushes him down again. Pause while all resume poise. 
Is it because Billy has too much brains? Billy brightens. No. A man of unusual intelligence is frequently hard to live with. Ask your mother. Mrs. Lanham, innocently. I suppose one would be. Mr. Lanham looks at her quickly. She goes on, relieved. Oh, but that won't worry Billy. Indeed. You know there are many advantages to this marriage. Yes. Your mother and myself and Billy's parents have looked forward to it, dreamed of it. Yes, but I'd be marrying him. Billy jumping up. I'm going. Flo grabs his arm, pulls him down. No, you're not going. He subsides obediently. Mr. Lanham, with look at them that points his speech. Daughter, believe me, you are making a grave mistake. With most couples, it would require years for their relationship to become so perfectly adjusted. I don't want to be so well adjusted. Every woman likes to fight now and then. Mr. Lanham, with sigh. Yes, and even if they don't, they develop wonderful powers of self-sacrifice. Keep to the subject, Archibald. The Lanham and the Arkwright places are side by side, and for years I've dreamed how nice it would be when they were together. Mother, you can't marry a man just because he lives next door to you. Why not? It's a much better reason than most people have. Mr. Lanham turning left. Have you ever considered this, Flo? We are the same kind of people, we Lanhams and the Arkwrights. We think alike. We've always been the best. We've always held ourselves the best. Now here in Kentucky, we breed for a pure strain in our horses, and in the matter of marriage for ourselves and our children, we should be just as careful. But in all breeding, isn't it a good idea now and then to cross the strain? Florence, don't be vulgar. Billy, jumping up. Oh, what's the use of continuing this? I'll tell you the real reason, Mr. Lanham. Flo did care for me, but she went abroad and got biffed on a man in France. <gasps> I knew she shouldn't have gone. I told you, Archibald. Rises, moves to right. Flo sits quite white and still. Mr. Lanham, soothing Mrs. Lanham. For first time, he is really downright serious. Turns to Flo. Is this true, daughter? Yes, father. Mr. Lanham, he is anxious, determined. She, slender, calm, white but unafraid. After a pause. Is he a gentleman? An officer. I said, a gentleman. Flo, indignantly, rises. Of course he's a gentleman. Then why do you refuse his name? I told Billy he's... dead. Oh! Sits chair right. Oh. Pause. Mrs. Lanham sighs with relief. Phew. After a pause... If he were living, you would marry him? Of course. But he is dead. Yes.
then the greatest objection is removed flo at his tone goes to pieces oh it isn't that i just don't love billy i don't goes up stage to centre stamps foot i don't i don't i don't allow me to congratulate you she'll elope with you in a month flo in rage what billy in amazement and delight what undoubtedly my legal experience of thirty-odd years has proven to me that whenever a witness particularly a woman is unusually vehement she is invariably lying oh of course every woman knows that elizabeth entering comes down right leaves door open takes in picture well settled glad of it margaret smith just called me on the phone and i told her in confidence she's the worst gossip in town oh i hate you i hate you i hate every one of you turns rushes from room and upstairs mr lanham calmly you see unusually vehement nora appears at door left a man to see miss florence involuntarily startled all hold picture and look at one another mr lanham turns to her what's his name didn't give any sir a gentleman oh no ma'am a general sigh of relief mrs lanham rises before nora can speak oh of course it's the butler they sent from the agency florence telephone them i'll have her see him she and elizabeth exit upstairs billy crosses right to mr lanham centre you really think mr lanham that i that flo the feminine psychology my dear boy is nothing to think about it's to pray over yes sir good afternoon crosses upright end of sofa and exits it's not the butler sir not the butler no sir i asked him it's a man from france says he has a message for miss florence from the dead sir mr lanham rises what's that well that's what he said sir ridiculous why should the dead want to talk to flo she's not at home to the dead exit show him in here nora exits mcginnis pauses at door he is about 30 big broad with the straightforward way of looking at one that compels attention about him is the quiet confidence of the trained bayonet fighter and he carries the air of the man who has led men when they had to be led and driven them when they had to be driven and always gotten results his very straightforwardness makes one overlook this shrewdness and the humor that lurks in his background he is dressed in a way to make a sensitive woman scream a poor fitting ready-made suit of rather loud design a loud tie a very low turn-down collar very yellow shoes of the kind that are sold as nobby and are a colored handkerchief that shows in the outside upper left pocket of the coat as well dresser at the gas house ball the barber has fixed his hair as only a barber unhindered can do 
Nevertheless, the personality of the man is strong, even with the handicap of his clothes, to command respect. Come in. Nora? Nods her out. Yes, sir. Exits. I am Mr. Lanham. My instructions were to give my message privately to Miss Florence Lanham. Your instructions from whom? From the captain, sir. Captain who? My instructions, sir, were to say from the captain. The captain is the officer about whose death she has heard? Yes, sir. Before you deliver this message, I have to say something. Yes, sir, they are... My daughter is, uh, romantic. Yes, sir, they all are... Ah, but she's the kind of girl who recites Kipling in front of the fire. I've heard her. Do you know Omar Khayyam? Sure. She discovered him. McGuinness smiles. Yes, sir. I heard the captain tell her if she'd bring him a jug of wine, she could cut out the thou. I should like to have known your captain. Pause. My daughter has a single-track mind and... I see. No management. Rear-end collisions. Nods eagerly. Mr. Lanham nods. So, under the circumstances, since he is dead, I don't wish any collisions, understand? McGuinness with obvious sincerity. Yes, sir. The last thing that my captain would want would be for Miss Florence to suffer one minute on his account. I'll send Miss Florence. Crosses up centre, starts to exit. Pause. Crosses around right end of sofa and upright. You seem to be the kind of man to be depended upon. Later, if you need a job, I think I could find something for you. McGuinness, with a meaning Mr. Langham doesn't catch. I'll probably see you later. Mr. Lanham exits upstairs centre. Left alone, McGuinness looks about the room, crosses to left, dusts shoes with handkerchief. Busy with handkerchief as he crosses up to centre, door, and looks off, then takes pocket mirror and fixes his hair, then looks off door right, returns to centre door, sees Flo coming down the stairs, and takes strategic position behind curtains up left, just as Flo enters. She comes in centre, looks around, sees no one, but he is in view of the audience all the while. As she appears, his face is transformed with longing and love for her. He slips into her view, in front of sofa centre. Then she hears him. She turns, gives a wild gasp of amazement, joy, love, starts toward him coming forward right centre. Flo, she is going toward him eagerly. Sam! McGuinness, his arms outstretched from the bottom of his soul. Flo! Why, I... Sure it's me. Flo stops as though struck with a club. For the first time she takes in his appearance. The light goes out of her face. Absorbed in his love and his joy at seeing her, McGuinness does not notice. He steps over and enfolds her in his arms. She submits without returning his embrace. Her face is up to his, 
her eyes closed defensively. The audience must see her hands held at her sides, clenched, as she submits to his embrace and kisses. Her action is beyond her control entirely, involuntary. At first he does not realise it in the slightest. McGuinness holding her tight, kissing her. You do fit there, don't you? Just like you used to, Mrs. McGuinness. Her hands at her side clench. Mrs. McGuinness. That's your name, isn't it, darling? Mrs. Sam McGuinness. Yes, I suppose so. Suppose so? <laughs> well, there's no doubt in my mind. Why, the last thing I thought when I jumped into that machine gun nest and went down was you. And you know the first thing I said when I came to in the field hospital? I was lying on my back looking up at the clear sky, and I said, Why? Why, it's just the color of her eyes. And then I passed out again and didn't come to you for weeks. Pause. Aren't you glad to see me? Yes, of course. McGuinness lets go her hands, grabs her face and covers it with kisses. She merely submits. God, it's great to be alive and back with your girl again. You were reported. I thought you were dead. Well, you see, in the mix-up, one of the Fritzies made a poke with his bayonet and just ripped off my dog tag. It was weeks before I could tell him who I was. Oh. <laughs> I told him a lot about you, though. Pulling her over in front of couch. Why, for three solid weeks, delirious, I was talking about you. Why, they never did call me in that hospital anything but Florence's husband. You're famous all over friends. Flo sits end of sofa right, the strain in her voice. You should have let me know. You should not have surprised me. You shouldn't have come. With a look that takes in his appearance. This way. McGuinness, her viewpoint striking him for the first time, sits, takes her hand. I'm sorry. Honest. I never thought of it that way. You see, I tried to establish communication with Miss Florence Lanham of the Red Cross because I didn't want them to send you back for marrying over there. And I found out you'd already come back. And then I didn't cable because I thought how much fun it would be to surprise you. And I waited to get well and strong because I didn't want my wife's first job to be nursing a half-man. You are all right again. McGuinness pats her hand. Sure. Didn't I hold you like I had my strength? Pause. Nobody here knows I'm married. Then you kept our agreement. Takes sofa pillow and sits on it. She nods. A long pause. Remember that night, sweetheart, when we marched back from the front to the little village in Repo? It was dirty and tired and ragged and unshaved. Didn't look much as I look now, did I? Gets out cigar and lights it. Flo with the bitterness she can't keep out of her tone. No, you didn't. Pause. You were glorious then in your captain's uniform, with your croix de guerre and double citation, and everybody crazy about you and the things you had done. You were glorious. Then. He pays no attention. You were standing in the door of that little hotel. They turned the corner dead to the world. 
And then I saw you, and you looked at me, just looked at me. And I was walking on air. Flo, do you remember? Yes, I remember. She is looking straight forward, and it begins to come back to her. And we went out in the moonlight, and I started to tell you how ashamed I was for boxing your ears. And you made me show you those foolish meadows. And then I can't tell how or what happened. But the first thing I knew, I was holding you tight and telling you, telling you things I didn't know it was in me to say. And you was just looking with your eyes like great big stars. Do you remember? Yes. Yes, I remember that night. And when we came back to camp and I told the Dominique what we wanted him to do, didn't he rave? It was against orders. It would cost him his job and break me and send you back to the States. My, but the old fellow was hard-nosed. Then what you said to him, <laughs> I'll never forget it. He's my man, and I'm going to him, so you'd better marry us, hadn't you? You remember. Holding her right hand with his right. Flo, drawing a long breath. Yes. And a week in that little village. A honeymoon. One week of perfect joy with old guns booming up barehead and men dying and us living as we'll never live again. Do you remember, Flo? She nods slowly. In the last morning, when I left thee, Agon, you were standing in the same doorway where I saw you the evening I came in, and I marched past at the head of the old F Company, and you stood there looking at me with your eyes big and your face dead white, but trying your damnedest to smile. God bless you. Patting her hand. And I turned the corner, afraid to look back. Oh, if we could only have that time again. That time? What's the matter with this? Slaps her on the back. Flo rises suddenly. She looks at him, droops. Pause. All right, is Morgan here? Yes. She nods. McGuinness blows out smoke, crosses his legs, leans back comfortably in one corner of the divan. She, every sensitive feeling in her outraged by his commonness, the way he smokes, the way he leans back and crosses his legs, and his general attitude. He pokes his finger in his right ear. She looks at him, rises quickly, almost involuntarily. He does not rise, crosses to right of sofa. What's wrong? Nothing. Nothing that you'd understand. McGuinness good-humouredly. All right. She moves to upstage, slightly turns, looking at him. He cannot see her. On her face is all the hopelessness, the tragedy of her dead romance, the realisation that from her civilian point of view she is married to a crude, provincial, good-hearted roughneck, miles beneath her socially. Isn't it great to think we can pick up our lives and carry on just where we left off? Can anybody do that? Why not? We've only had one week, and we've got forty years ahead of us. Flo, downstage, she looks at him, shudders. Forty years? Oh, by the way, here's something you, uh, you might like. Reaches hand in his pocket, pulls out the distinguished service cross, 
tosses it to her. Flo catching it. What is it? Distinguished Service Cross. Gave it to me for the Argonne show. Flo sits on sofa, with fierce eagerness trying to reconstruct her hero. Tell me about it. How you got it. Everything. Make it heroic. Just like a woman. Shakes his head. What did you get it for? Self-defense. Don't be absurd. Tell me everything. Oh, if you could only understand how much I want to make you my hero again. Stops with look of involuntary distaste. Well, uh, I told you. Self-defense. You see, some of those Fritzies were going to kill me, and I killed them first. That's all. That was splendid, of course. Hands it back, rises and crosses right. And I'm awfully proud that you got it. McGuinness, a pause. He looks about the room with admiration. You know, it's funny to think of you being rich. You never told me anything about your people, and over there I thought you were just a poor nobody like myself. If I'd realized all this... Indicates room. I don't think I'd have had the nerve. When he begins to realise her snobbishness, McGuinness begins to pile it on and broaden his effects to be a little coarser than he really is, at the same time by his acting over-elaboration, and side looks at her when she is doing this for effect and really having a little fun with her, at the same time not realising fully how deep her feeling is. Flo, with unconscious snobbishness, turning to McGuinness. The Lanhams have always been what you call rich and the best people. My father is the best lawyer in this state. McGuinness smiling at her pride. Well, my father is the best shoemaker in Racine. Flo with distaste. A shoe manufacturer. McGuinness rubbing it in. Yes. Makes them all himself by hand, and nobody turns out better ones. Look. Holds up feet. Flow in absolute despair. A cobbler? We'll visit him when we leave here. Oh. She looks about wildly. He'll be proud of you. He has a cottage, six rooms, right next to his shop. We can rent from him. Flo, completely overwrought, sinks on chair right of sofa and bursts into a choking sob. McGuinness crosses to her. Instantly, when she breaks, his attitude changes. He cannot altogether understand why she is so serious, but he is remorsefully tender, puts his arm about her. Flo shrinks from him. McGuinness rises to right of her. I, I didn't mean to hurt you. Why, I wouldn't hurt you for the world. I know you wouldn't, knowingly. I was just... Starts to say, teasing, she cuts in. Oh, Sam, those clothes, that tie, those shoes. Points to them. McGuinness in amazement. You ain't crying over the shoes. These clothes. Spreading himself like a peacock. Pretty nifty, I thought. Flo, sniffily. Nifty. Yes, I suppose so.
pretty, nifty. And we are going to visit your father, the best cobbler in Racine. And he'll think they're pretty, nifty, too. Florence Lanham's father-in-law, the best cobbler in Racine. Laughs hysterically high, he crosses to right of her. A flash of anger shows on his face, then he restrains himself, looks at her with a smile. You're his son. McGuinness with sincere pride and straightforwardness. Yes, and I happen to be proud of my father. Leaning toward her. Flo rises. I'm sorry. Pause. Sam, will you do something for me, just because I want you to? Rises. Of course. Will you... will you go back in the army again? He looks mutinous. Pause. Shakes his head. I can't do it. Flo. But you were a brilliant officer with a great record. The Croix de Guerre, Citations, the Distinguished Service Cross. Why, you'd go up so fast. You'd be someone I could be proud of. You'd be as good as anybody. McGuinness trying to change her mood. I never saw an Irishman that wasn't better than anybody. Flo, pleading, moves toward McGuinness. Won't you? For my sake. It's our chance of happiness. Sam. I can't be a quitter. Even for you, Flo. Quitter? I was a civilian soldier and did my bit. Now my duty is again as a civilian. I'm going to become somebody. I'm going to take you away from all this foolishness. I'm going to take you to... Racine. If you're my wife, you'll go with me to hell. Flo, turning away, facing audience. I'd rather go there than to Racine. Did anybody ever tell you that you were a snob? Flo looks at him, quickly justifying herself. I'm not a snob. I can't explain it. But it's something. The clothes. It's what they stand for. Although when I first came in and saw the clothes, before I saw your face, I thought you were one of the applicants who had come for the butler's place. But it's you, Sam. It's the way you look and act. Flo crosses and stops below sofa. Something that makes me want to get away when you touch me, Sam. And you're my wife. Bow's head. Flo ashamed of herself, but determined. I hate myself for it, Sam, but I can't help it. It's been growing since the moment I saw you. Over there, we were all trying to do one thing, and the bigness of what we were trying to do blotted out all differences and made us one. But over here, it's not that way. We belong to different classes. Sam. Realizing her tragedy... And I'm afraid they don't mate. McGuinness, looking out front. Pause. And when I got myself shot to pieces and gassed, I thought I was helping to make the world safe for democracy. Flo, horrified at an attack of a fetish. Sam. McGuinness, throwing cigar in fire, crosses to her. She turns right. Yes, Mrs. McGuinness. You're a damned sight worse snob than I took you for. Flo turns to him. Of course, I'm common and vulgar and got no manners. I know it. You've been doing nothing all your life but learning manners. 
my manners I got from the streets and my education from night school, but I've made a civil engineer of myself and I'm going up. Manners and sensations, that's what you and your kind live on. That's what you went to friends for, just to get a new sensation. And you met me. All right, you're my wife. And now I'm going to give you another sensation. Flo turns to him. You and I are. I can't go through with it, Sam. I just can't. You know I worship you, Flo. And you are making me wish I hadn't come back from France. Don't. Pause, turning to him. Puts her hands on his arms. Don't you realize it's hard for me too, Sam? Do you think it's easy for a girl to have all her dreams shattered? You want me to be honest, don't you? You wouldn't want me to go through with it, looking down on you and learning to hate you. Pause while he tries to get her point of view. Looking down on me? You mean because my father is a cobbler? Flo sits. Pause. Sits on sofa, centre. McGuinness crosses up centre and down. Abe Lincoln was a rail splitter, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of the haughty beauties who turned him down afterwards regretted it. With lame attempt at humour to hide his heartbreak. Of course, if that were a bad cobbler, I would understand it, but... Turning again to her. I'm a civil engineer myself. Yes, Dad made the money with his own hands. That's why I'm proud of him. Please. Pause. I didn't say it was that. You'll no fly up the creek, so I won't insult you by asking you if you love another man. It, it, it isn't that. Pause. McGuinness turning again to her. You mean you just don't love me anymore? Sam, it's... Then my clothes and my manners have killed it. Forgive me. Nothing to forgive. Feelings are feelings and have rules of their own. Only clothes and manners. Pause. Shakes his head. I thought a woman loved a man because he loved her. Because he was a regular fellow and would take care of her and be kind and decent and thoughtful. I guess that only shows how little I knew of women. But clothes and manners. That seems a little thing to quit loving a man for. Crosses to her. You know... I believe I'd keep on loving you if you... chew tobacco. Flo, horrified, turns to him. Chew tobacco? Yes. I'd just begin chewing too, so I wouldn't notice it. Crosses right, back of table, down to the front of sofa. She stands at left end of it. He is right of her. Flo, rising. That's it. I'm afraid I'd begin chewing tobacco too. Pause. McGuinness, his face suddenly lights, goes right after her. Yes, Mrs. McGuinness, you are a snob. In fact, you're about the funniest, dearest little snob in the world, but I'm damned if I'll admit you don't love me. I'm damned if I'll admit you're that little, and I'm damned if I'll let you admit it either. I have an idea. What are you going to do? Do? You're a snob. I'll be a snob, too. What? No. 
I'll have manners, and while I'm learning, I'll educate you too. I'm going to give you a little lesson in democracy. You mean you are going to learn manners from me? Good Lord, no. I'll learn them from only people who have them. The servants. The servants? I don't understand. Perfectly simple. I'm going to take that job in this house as butler that seems to be vacant. Preposterous. You shan't. Who is going to stop me? Your father promised me a job. She is too horror-stricken to speak. Yes. I'll learn manners, and even if you don't learn democracy, a butler husband ought to be a pretty good cure for snobbishness. Flo, following him, grabs Sam's arm. Sam, you're mad. You can't do a thing like that. You can't, and you're not going to. They won't employ you. I won't permit it. McGuinness, turning on her. If you don't want the full story of this marriage to come out. If you don't want your divorce fought to a finish in the open, and you know I'll fight to a finish, you'll permit it. Where do you think your proud Lanham name would be? Do you think there would be such sympathy for a wife who deserted her husband after he was wounded and had won two decorations? That's cowardly. Of course it's cowardly. But I'm fighting for my happiness. I'm fighting for your happiness. I'm fighting to open your eyes. To change you from a poor little snob into the real woman you have it in you to become. And I'll do anything to win because the stake is too big to lose. The full force of his determination overcomes her. She realises he is going through with it and the horror of a public exposure seizes her. Flo turns to him. You'd make it public? McGuinness, realising he has won. On the front page of every newspaper. Sam, I'll stick. No matter what I think, I'll stick. Let's go away together. I'll go with you anywhere. I'll go to Racine. No. Shakes his head. Please take me to Racine. I promise. Honestly, I won't. Look down on my father. Oh, that's not what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid he'll look down on you. What? McGuinness, apologetically. He's very old-fashioned, you know. He wears horn-rimmed spectacles and chews tobacco. I can just see him sitting on his bench, working over a shoe. Chewing tobacco and looking over his specs at you. Crosses and sits on left end of sofa, takes bookend from table, acts out picture. Yes, Sam, she's a good looker, all right, and she sure is highfalutin. Can she cook? No, Dad. Make clothes? No, Dad. Keep house? No, Dad. Take care of the baby? No, Dad. What are you going to do with her, son? Put her in the movies? Rises, crosses to her. Then how would I feel? No. I won't take my wife to my father's house that I'd be ashamed of. I'm a snob, and I couldn't stand for my wife being looked down on by the best cobbler in Racine. You'd be ashamed of me. Now don't hit the ceiling, and above all, don't get discouraged. After I've educated you, you'll be all right. Why, I'll make you so I can take you into the poorest house in this land and not be ashamed of you. She collapses, beaten, sits chair right of sofa. Oh. Feeling he has beaten her, McGuinness's attitude changes. He becomes tender, sympathetic, his love showing forth. I wouldn't be so hard, darling. But I have to. 
You don't know how much I love you. It's a queer way of showing it. If I don't make good, I won't hold you, I promise. You mean if you can't learn, if you stay as you are... You'll be free. No one knows of our marriage. No one need know. We'll go away quietly. After a time I'll get a divorce, or you can get a divorce in some other state. It can all be hushed up, and none of your friends need ever know of your disgrace. Your word of honor? Yes. If you play the game fairly, give me a chance. Is it a go? Holds out his hand. Enter Mr. Lanham, right. Flo crosses to left. She nods as Mr. Lanham enters. McGuinness turns to Mr. Lanham, moving towards Mr. Lanham. You said something about a job, sir. Yes? I was speaking to Miss Lanham. I'd like to try that job as butler. Butler? You? <laughs> Mrs. Lanham and Elizabeth enter, come down left. Betty, what do you think of this man for butler? Elizabeth laughs. Mrs. Lanham sits on sofa left. That man? Archibald, don't be ridiculous. Why don't you give me a chance, ma'am? I'll make good. I'm strong enough for the job. Being a butler is hardly a question of strength. What's your experience? I was mess sergeant of the company once. They busted me for busting a fresh cook, but I was mess sergeant once, and I've been KP lots of times. I don't see, Archibald, what put such a ridiculous idea in your head. Why won't he make a butler? His manners are almost bad enough to be a gentleman. Don't you think so, Flo? I think... I've been gassed, sir. I ain't fit for heavy work. That decides it. I'm not going to turn down a soldier. Crosses to Mrs. Lanham, sits on sofa. Besides, Zack Hart is coming down from New York in about a month in connection with the biggest deal we've ever had. And you know how you'd feel entertaining him without a butler? <laughs> I know how I'd feel entertaining him with this kind of a butler. Nonsense! Teach him! Flo, you'll teach him, won't you? All right, father. <sighs> it's on your head, Archibald. To McGuinness. What's your name? McGuinness, ma'am. McGuinness? While you're here, your name will be Dodson. I always call my butler Dodson. Dodson it is, ma'am. That will do, Dodson. You take him in hand, Florence. McGuinness turns to Flo. Flo, embarrassed. Dodson, go to the dining room. Nora, the maid there, will tell you what to do. Yes, miss. Turns, stalks out, a soldier at attention. Mrs. Lanham, critically. He has a figure. Elizabeth, looking after McGuinness. I bet he'd be wonderful in silk stockings. I was thinking of that. He probably has beautiful legs. To Flo. Flo, what do you think of his legs? McGuinness reappears at door to Mr. Lanham. All right, boss. Scrub's ready. <laughs>, <sighs>, <sighs>, <sighs> Lanham laughs. 
Mrs. Lanham and Elizabeth sink back in horror, flow expression of horror as curtain falls. End of Act One, Part Two